And so we've been talking in the book of James for the last uh, few weeks anyway, a couple months maybe, about practical grace, right? We kind of came into this study out of Galatians where we were talking about radical grace and we've kind of been talking about the two sides of this coin. Um, Radical grace, Galatians, that message where we learn of the just the absolute beauty and freeness of God's grace. Oh, good morning. How are you, ma'am? Well, it's a pleasure. I'm I'm Chad. I'm the pastor here. It's great to have you. Miss Miller, let me just, let me get you a seat right here. We're going to let you sit right here in the front. Um, So glad to have Miss Miller today, aren't we, folks? If you just sit right there. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for being here today. Amen. That's wonderful. Oh, good morning. Can, can we help you? Okay, sure. Yeah, we're, we're just follow me back here. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a place back here. Um, we'll let you sit this morning. Um, good to have you, by the way. Come, come on, wrap, wrap this just right back here. Let me show you. Y'all excuse me just a second. I'll be with you in a moment. Here, here you go, man. If you'll just... Perfect. Just, we, we say that one just for you. You just sit right there. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Chad, how can you say that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ when you obviously show favoritism to the rich over the poor? And Chris would be exactly right. Thank you, brother. Amen. All right, y'all awake? No matter who you are, faith in Jesus and favoritism towards others don't mix in the heart of a Jesus follower. In fact, had this been real and not staged, Chris's behavior, by the way, would have been spot on. If any of us shows favoritism, including me, we need to be rebuked. And the Bible says, even for us in leadership, that we need to be rebuked publicly if we sin publicly. 1 Timothy, you can check it out later, chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Pastor, deacons, most veteran church member in the room, most prominent community leader here today, it doesn't matter. Faith and favoritism? No. James chapter 2, verses 9 shows us this truth I want you to take home with you. Faith in Jesus and favoritism toward others don't mix in the heart of a Jesus follower. They cannot be allowed to coexist in the heart of someone who follows Jesus Christ. Pick it up with me in James chapter 2, verse 1. In, in, in James chapter 2, verse 1, we see the principle the, the foundation for the principle I've just stated, this take-home truth. And here's the way G- James puts it, as Chris has already quoted it. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim, from the New Living Translation, how can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people more than others? Now, the principle in the context is about the rich and poor, as Chris pointed out, and as 
these ladies helped me point out this morning. But the principle here applies not just to favoring the rich over the poor, but deals with favoritism, period. No matter the ungodly and worldly criteria that we're using. Whenever we show favoritism to one person over against another for whatever worldly and ungodly reason. How, James says, can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you show favor to some people more than others? The, the uh, contemporary English version says, My friends, if you have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, you won't treat some people better than others. If it's true that you know Jesus, then the truth will be in your life you won't treat people with favoritism. You won't play favorites. You see, real Jesus followers don't habitually and decidedly live this way toward any body or any group of people. The English Standard Version has verse 1 this way, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What's James saying? We can't hold faith in Jesus, the Lord of glory, in one hand as a believer, and partiality, favoritism towards others in the other, and somehow pretend that everything's okay. That it's all right to love Jesus, but not love everybody. Play favorites. Have those that we despise and those that we like in this world. John MacArthur said, You cannot practice partiality and be consistent with calling yourself a Christian. I want you to get the strength of verse 1. James is saying these two things are mutually exclusive. Either you love Jesus... And you live like it by not showing partiality or you live in partiality and prove that you don't know Jesus. But both can't be true in a habitual, decided way. Now, am I saying you can never play favorites? No. But if you do, you'll know what's wrong and you'll deal with it. The Holy Spirit will change that in you quickly. You won't persist in that as a follower of Christ. We've seen the principle. Verses 2 and 3 give us the example this is what, we, what you just saw acted out for you. For example, James says, here's, here's just one of the, the ways I'm talking about this thing of favoritism applying. Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor... And literally in the Greek language, the picture here would have been, uh, they, back in that day, they even had footstools in their gatherings. And, and, and the idea would have been this person would have been put next to the footstool. They wouldn't have even been given the footstool to sit, sit on. They'd have been put on the floor by the footstool. And so we have the example. Special thanks to Sherry and Sheila and Chris. Amen. They did a great job. You guys rocked that out. Appreciate your help. Again, this applies to, the, to economic favoritism. But it also applies to racial prejudice. It applies to neglect of the aged and the diseased. It applies to silence in the face of almost 60 million abortions that we know about since 1973. 
It applies to the neglect of the poor among us as well as the illogical fear of refugees the world over. And so we have this example. The rich and poor is just one of many ways this principle of favoritism, that faith and favoritism don't mix in the heart of a Christ follower. One of the many ways it applies. Well, verse 4 keeps going and it gives us the heart behind favoritism. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? James says, when you prefer the rich over the poor, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Your judgments are guided by evil motives. Motives of self-interest. Motives of personal benefit. I mean, I was pretty clear that, 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 that Miss Miller might could benefit me and our church. And I gave her a seat right up front. Because she obviously had means. But when Miss Burton came in and, well, I reacted differently and it was based on appearance. It was based on what seemed to be economic reasons, right? Now, we're all clear that in Gilmer County, the richest man in the county might be wearing overalls. We've got that. And if you're new to the area, that's the, that's the mountain way. Just know that. You may be made to be the fool. But the heart behind discrimination, whenever it rears its ugly head, whatever the context and, and, and the application of it, it's, it, it's really this heart of self above all. Self above all. That, that's, that's, the, that's what's driving every time I play favorites in this world. Is myself above all and how this person can benefit me, how this group does not benefit me. Self above all, which by the way is as anti-Christ as the heart of Satan himself. You know what? You know who the devil's all about? The devil's all about the devil. And he always has been. He's always wanted to be who? God himself. And you and I are no different when we start playing God. And decided who, based on our own feelings and likes, we're going to love. The heart behind favoritism is this self above all. Remember that last verse we looked at last week in James 1, verse 27? Just glance back there, and it'll be on the screen. Religion, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows, the, the, the forgotten, the helpless, in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And sometimes we may not see a connection between those two things. Serving or, orphans and widows and being unstained, keeping oneself unpolluted by the world. We may, be th we may, think, we may think those are completely unrelated things. But about that last phrase our, from our own word study on Wednesday night, Russell Moore says, Worldliness is thinking in the way of the world. In this particular instance, the most anti-worldly thing we can do is to welcome, value, and prioritize these people the rest of the world has no time or patience for, in this case, orphans and widows, and in James 2, the poor. That's the way we can take a stand against the world and be unspotted from the world. 
is to welcome the poor. It's interesting. Sometimes this happens. We'll be doing some study in Sunday school or on Wednesday night, and we'll be preaching through a book in, in, in on Sunday mornings, and the two kind of come together. And if you're on, in our Wednesday night study, I mean, they came together. Our passage for this morning was in our homework for Wednesday night study, and so they've, they've just come together in an amazing way. The most welcome, the most anti-worldly and godly thing that we can do is welcome those for whom the rest of the world has no time or patience. Value them. Prioritize them. That's why chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, address another group of forgotten and neglected folks, as we've seen, the poor, and tells us how we are to relate to them. Again, Russell Moore says, to be worldly in this instance is to show favoritism prizing what the world deems as important, namely wealth and someone's ability to benefit us. But as we've seen, faith in Jesus and favoritism toward others don't mix in the heart of a Jesus follower. They can't mix in the heart of a Jesus follower. Now, why? Why is that true? Why is it true that faith in Jesus and Favoritism toward others don't mix in the heart of a Jesus follower. James continues on in this passage to give us three reasons. The first one we find in verse 5, and here it is. Favoritism is inconsistent with God's heart. Perhaps most important of the three reasons we'll see, faith is in, favoritism is inconsistent with God's heart. Listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. James says, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? You see, God doesn't show partiality. It's part of what defines him as God. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says of our God, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God. Mighty and supreme, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Isn't that amazing? In such a majestic verse, describing all the bigness and the beauty of God, wrapped into that is the statement, He's the God who shows no partiality. He's the God, so great and gracious and, 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 and worthy is He. He does not accept Bribes like everybody else in the world, like every other God among humanity. This is our God. This is who He is. In the very essence of His being. One commentator says, to put it simply, in Old Testament term, terminology, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You see, this morning, God's not interested in your bank account your wardrobe, your jewelry, as any kind of commendation of your character. On the other hand, God's not disinterested in you because you're poor or because you don't look so good or because you don't have in that many clothes or because you have a common job or you don't have any degrees or any reputation or social standing. He's not interested in you because of what you lack, nor is He interested in you because of what you possess. And frankly, we who belong to God and say we're the children of God should certainly manifest those same 
characteristics. It shouldn't matter who a person is. We should love even as God has loved us. In Romans 2, verses 9 through 11, the impartiality of God, the truth that favoritism is inconsistent with the heart of God is seen again. There, Paul says, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Paul's in the middle of a three-chapter section in Romans, Romans 1 through 3, where he's showing his readers, he's teaching us this truth. All are sinners, no matter where you come from, what you look like, your ethnicity, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. All are sinners and stand in need of a Savior. That's his point in Romans 1 through 3. And what he says here, in judgment, in pronouncing you a sinner, God doesn't show partiality. You don't get off the hook because you're somebody in town. He doesn't care who you are. You don't impress him. And if you're the nobody in town... He doesn't care you're the nobody. Apart from Christ, you're under the judgment of a holy God, period. He shows no favoritism in judgment, but also he shows no favoritism in in salvation. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, it's the story of Cornelius. And you remember the deal God had to to deal with the apostle Peter. He He had to give him a dream. Like three reruns of the dream, to get through his Jewish head, his self-righteous Jewish heart, to convince him that it would be okay for him to enter the house of a Gentile, Cornelius, and preach the gospel of Jesus to them. And so he finally is convinced of that, and he goes. And the Bible says in Acts 10 that, that the Holy Spirit was poured out in response to the preaching of the gospel. The people believed, they accepted the message of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And here is Peter's response in Acts 10, 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is Right, in this case, the one who fears him enough to believe the gospel and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. God, favoritism is inconsistent with the heart of God. God does not show favoritism with reference to salvation. He doesn't show favoritism, period. It's not who he is. And as James pointed out back in in James 1, 9 through 11, we won't take time to read it, But as he pointed out there, the gospel is the great equalizer. The gospel exalts the poor and humbles the rich. Because salvation from God comes to all of us the same way. By the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Your bank account doesn't matter. Your wardrobe doesn't matter. The kind of car you drive doesn't matter. Your job doesn't matter. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the only way to come to God, no matter who you are, is through personal faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. As Romans 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is excluded from the universal condemnation and judgment of a holy God. All have sinned. Romans 5, 8 says, But God, 
Even though that's the case and all have sinned. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Nothing changed except the heart of God. None of us moved in his direction. None of us quit being sinners, cleaned up our act, somehow got the attention of heaven. Nobody on earth dialed up the big throne and said, hey, we need help down here. While we were still sinners, God so loved us. He showed us how he loved us by giving his son to die for us when we were running 100 miles in another direction as enemies of God. You see, as Russell Moore says, we all in the church of Jesus Christ were helpless. We all were ungodly. We all were spiritually bankrupt. We all were sinners in need of a Savior. That is why faith in Jesus and favoritism can't mix in the heart of a Jesus follower. Favoritism flies in the face of how God has loved us. More again, at the cross, all worldly marks of success and prominence fade away. First, in the abyss of our sinfulness, and then in the matchless grace of God. Paul put it this way, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise of the world. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong of the world. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Here's why he did it. Don't miss this. So that no one may boast before him. So he gets all the glory for every person that ever comes to know Jesus as Savior. You may say, well, I was rich when God saved me. Well, let me just tell you, dear friend, he did not save you because of your riches. You might say, well, you know, I was an educated man when God saved me. Well, trust me, you're not as smart as you think you are, number one, and he didn't save you because you had a degree, number two. Because he says in this passage, the way he normally does it is he saves the opposite of what the world exalts. He treasures and he calls. And he does it so that no one may boast before him. You see, favoritism is inconsistent with God's heart. But then on the level of earthly wealth, secondly this morning, faith is inconsistent with the usual Christian experience. What am I talking about? Well, verse 6 and 7. James goes on after he talks about the heart of God. He says, but you dishonor the poor. God chose the poor. Those are the ones God normally saves. But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? James says, favoritism is inconsistent with the usual Christian experience. Again, it's not that there's not wealthy believers that that act right in church. Amen? But James is saying it's, it's not the normal course. 
Isn't it true that for the most part, the rich get rich at the expense of the poor? That's pretty much been the story of things throughout the history of the world. They haul you, as it were, James says, into religious courts and persecute you for your faith. Why would you want to disdain the poor when, whom God has chosen to salvation in great numbers? And why would you want to give deference to the rich who are the ones who have, for all the years of human life, oppressed the poor, both civilly and religiously? Why would we want to act that way, James says? It's inconsistent with the usual Christian experience. You see, the church of Jesus Christ through the ages has, more often than not, been persecuted by the rich and powerful while being made up of primarily the outcasts of society. Come on Wednesday night, starting on March 8th, and you'll learn church history and how that goes. And that's normally the way it's been for 2,000 years. Favoritism is inconsistent with the usual Christian experience. But, but thirdly, the last reason that faith in Jesus and favoritism toward others can't mix in the same heart of a Jesus follower is this. Favoritism is simply sin. It is a breaking of God's law. Verse 8 and then verse 9. Yes, indeed, James says, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures, that second command, love your neighbor as yourself. James says that's good. It's good when you don't show favoritism, but you love all as you love yourself. That's good. And you keep the royal law, that is the new, otherworldly, from heaven, if you will, kingdom law. The law that values all, it doesn't show favoritism to any. That's good, but then verse 9, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. If there was any ambiguity on the subject, you are committing a sin, you are guilty of breaking the law. Straight up, favoritism is a sin. It is a breaking of God's law. Someone said money still does the talking far too loudly in Christian circles, and where and when it does, the glory of Christ departs. And so it does. Race and worldly power and influence still does the talking far too loudly in Christian circles. And such dishonors Christ and disembowels the power of his church. Make no mistake. When we allow favoritism to rule in our hearts, to have its a place in our lives as the body of Christ, we gut the power of the church in this world. Because we show the world something other than Jesus. Some other message than the gospel. We say it's not about grace and the love of God. It's about you and what you can do and how you can perform and whether or not you benefit me. And, 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 and by proxy, whether or not you can make God happy. Paul understood that because of Jesus, everything must change in our hearts and lives. And he said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. 
Have you stopped evaluating people by what the world thinks and started evaluating people by what God thinks and what he's shown you that he thinks, what he's convinced you personally that he thinks of through the gospel, the message of grace? Again, Russell Moore says, we must stand against the lie that value is determined by utility, usefulness. We must stand against the lie that we who exist outside the womb or might have a firm and healthy 401k in place are somehow independent and self-sustaining. We are not. And in the end, we must stand against the lie that we are better than everyone else. That's what it boils down to. We must stand against the lie of self above all and love all others like Jesus loved us. Amen? Because you see, it's not all about us. It's all about Him. And so no matter their social status, their color, their background, their nationality, their income, their dress, their religion, we must love everyone as ourselves, the Bible says, because Christ died for all. Christ loves all. Amen? And we must figure out how to proclaim the gospel while standing to protect the unborn, the poor, the widow, the orphans, and the diseased. Because faith in Jesus and favoritism toward others don't mix in the heart of a Jesus follower. And as we close this morning... I believe that today, on February the 5th, 2017, one of our greatest opportunities for gospel witness at home and around the world is our response to the refugee crisis. Close to 70 million people worldwide. If you hadn't done the math, that's one out of every hundred people on earth is a refugee today. And because I can't say it any better or any more concisely, then John Piper said it this week at the Bethlehem Conference for, for Pastors in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to close with this two-minute message from Piper that gives us, I believe, an inescapable challenge. Hear his words. If it turns out that the U.S. government settles on a refugee policy based on fear and callousness to the most vulnerable people outside the womb. The gospel-believing church in America is not constrained to embrace that mindset or those fears or be limited by that action. We march to a different drum. We have a different king. That's right. Our citizenship belongs elsewhere. Yes. And in response, in response to that policy, that mindset, we should say to the world, the world, by our action, if our government fears and excludes you, we will come to you. We will come to you. We will increase... 
We will increase our age-long commitment to send and support a steady stream of missionaries and support workers out, out of America who carry the best news in the world and who care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And thus, we will bear witness that we are not governed by fear or by hardness of heart, but by Jesus Christ, who became a servant unto death, that all the peoples might glorify God for his mercy. Father, how we thank you that Jesus came.